Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 20th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The WCAB asked the Court of Appeal for a second chance to correct its ruling on reconsideration. Here's what happened in the case of Davis versus the WCAB and the city of Modesto. Theodore Davis filed two applications for adjudication of his claim alleging he contracted prostate cancer due to both specific and cumulative trauma injuries while performing his duties as a firefighter for the city of Modesto. The party selected Thomas Allums, M.D., as the PQME to resolve compensability issues. Dr. Allums concluded that his cancer was not related to his employment. At his own expense, Davis hired another doctor to review Dr. Allums' reports and to evaluate him regarding the causation of his prostate cancer. Davis forwarded the consulting report to Dr. Allums with a request to prepare a supplemental report addressing the consultant's evaluation, but the employer objected, claiming the request was an attempt to violate the workers' compensation discovery processes. The work comp judge concluded that the consultant's report was not admissible, but that the report may nevertheless be reviewed and commented upon by the PQME pursuant to Labor Code Section 4605. And the city of Modesto petitioned the WCAB for reconsideration, and the WCAB rescinded the work comp's decision, concluding that the consultant's report was not reviewable by the QME. Davis then asked the Court of Appeal to intervene and reverse the WCAB, but the WCAB filed a letter brief with the Court of Appeal stating it had reviewed the petition and determined it failed to address Labor Code Section 4605 in its October 3, 2016 decision. The WCAB asked the Court to grant the petition for review to annul the WCAB's decision and remand the case back to the WCAB for further proceedings. The Court of Appeal gave the WCAB what it wanted and sent the case back in the unpublished decision of Davis versus WCAB and the city of Modesto. The Court of Appeal said that given the WCAB's admission it did not consider Section 4605, it concluded the WCAB's decision fails to state the evidence relied upon and specify in detail the reasons for the decision as required by Labor Code 5908.5. A mass tort action proceeding in San Francisco federal court may end in favor of California farm workers who have been injured by Monsanto chemical products. And if they are successful, their employers may obtain subrogation or claim set-offs for the damages recovered. Plaintiff lawyers say that Monsanto ghostwrote scientific reports that U.S. regulators relied on to determine that a chemical in its Roundup weed killer does not cause cancer. The documents are part of a mass litigation filed in federal court claiming Monsanto failed to warn that exposure to the product Roundup could cause non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a type of cancer. Monsanto sells about $5 billion per year of Roundup, which is used by farmers, homeowners, and others around the globe. 
The company has denied that the product causes cancer. Plaintiffs claim that Monsanto's texo uh, toxicology manager ghostwrote parts of a scientific report that was published under the names of several academic scientists. Both reports were used by the EPA to determine that glyphosate, a chemical in Roundup, was safe. Monsanto said the ghostwriting allegations were based on cherry-picking one email out of 10 million pages of documents. The federal mass litigation includes about 60 separate lawsuits, and several hundred more lawsuits are pending in state courts around the country. Monsanto is also fending off claims over its past manufacturing of polychlorinate biphenyls, known as PCBs, which the World Health Organization classifies as known carcinogens. At least 700 lawsuits against Monsanto or Monsanto-related entities are pending on behalf of people who claim their non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was caused by exposure to Monsanto PCBs. And now our crime report. Manure Ueda was an orthopedic surgeon well-known as a treating physician in California workers' compensation cases. He has been charged as the ringleader of one of, the, of California's biggest health fraud schemes, which included unnecessary operations by an untrained assistant that scarred patients forever. Los Angeles District Attorney Jackie Lacey alleged in a case filed in 2015 that Ueda and 14 associates, including another doctor and a lawyer, built insurance companies out of $150 million. The fraud indictment also names Ueda's business associate, Kelly Sue Park, who was acquitted in a sensational murder trial several years ago. She was then accused of strangling the doctor's ex-girlfriend, college student and aspiring model, Juliana Redding. During that murder trial, prosecutors had described Park as a female James Bond who was hired to kill Ueda's former girlfriend because of a failed business deal between Redding's father, who is an Arizona pharmacist, and Dr. Ueda. The doctor was never charged in the murder case and denied any involvement in the killing. Juliana Redding was strangled in Santa Monica back in 2008. Karen Thompson of the Santa Monica Police Department was the lead investigator. Prosecutors alleged that Park strangled Redding with her bare hands and left overwhelming DNA evidence on the body and around the apartment. They say that Ueda gave Park a six-figure payment to kill Redding after a business deal soured with her father. Prosecutors alleged in the murder case that Park turned on a gas stove and lit candles in an effort to blow up the apartment after strangling the victim and dragging her scratched and bruised body into the bedroom. Park is now accused in the pending fraud case of being the office manager and personal assistant to Ueda who ran Frontline Medical Associates. But Kelly Sue Park bites back. Before her trial on murder charges, the judge in that case ruled that she would not allow Park to present any evidence of third-party culpability for the murder after Park's key witness on that question, Melissa Ayala, 
invoked her Fifth Amendment privilege and refused to testify. After learning of this potentially exculpatory evidence, Park gave notice to the district attorney of her intention to call Ayala as a defense witness at trial. Detective Thompson then contacted Ayala and allegedly attempted to dissuade her from testifying for the defense. Park alleges that Detective Thompson later spoke with the El Segundo Police Department about filing charges against Ayala for problems she had with a former boyfriend. After Park's acquittal, Park sued the city of Santa Monica police detective Karen Thompson, alleging that Thompson violated her constitutional rights by intimidating and attempting to dissuade Ayala from testifying. Park asserted that Thompson orchestrated criminal charges against Ayala with the intention that Ayala invoke the Fifth Amendment and refuse to testify on Park's behalf. The federal district court dismissed Park's lawsuit against a Detective Thompson for failure to state a claim, but the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal reversed this month in the published case of Kelly Sue Park versus Karen Thompson. Park will now proceed with her case against Detective Thompson in federal court. Hayak Kwan, owner of Good Neighbor Services, a janitorial company that provided services to some of San Diego's most exclusive hotels and resorts, pleaded guilty to seven felonies, including workers' compensation premium fraud. Kwan stipulated to an eight-year prison sentence and to pay restitution exceeding $5 million. His accomplice, Wu Hui Kwan, pleaded guilty last December to two counts of premium fraud and two counts of employment tax fraud. She was sentenced to four years and eight months and restitution. The two defendants own a janitorial company that provides cleaning staff to major hotels across San Diego, Los Angeles, and Riverside counties, including the Ritz-Carlton, Four Seasons, Hilton, and Hyatt Hotel chains. The investigation uncovered a methodological and systemic shell game involving six straw owners used to conceal the existence of hundreds of hotel workers, to avoid paying millions of dollars in insurance premiums and payroll taxes. The San Diego District Attorney worked with the California Department of Insurance on this complicated underground economy case. The Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office announced that two clothing manufacturing executives and their accountant were sentenced for their roles in a $3.8 million fraud scheme. Last December, Sung Hyun Kim and Jae Young Kim pleaded no contest to two counts of workers' compensation premium fraud. 59-year-old Sung Hyun Kim was sentenced to two years in local custody or electronic monitoring and two years of mandatory supervision. 73-year-old Jae Young Kim and another accomplice, 61-year-old Carolyn Sung Choi were each sentenced to one year in custody or electronic monitoring and placed on probation for five years. They were corporate officers for Merico and its successor SF Apparel, both garment manufacturing companies 
that make high-end brand jeans such as the True Religion brand jeans. True Religion brand jeans was not suspected of any fraud or wrongdoing in this case. Sung Hyun Kim and Jae Young Kim, an accountant, underreported millions of dollars in payroll to insurance carriers. The state fund notified the Department of Insurance detectives when they discovered payroll reports showing significantly less payroll than reports submitted to the EDD. Many employees were paid under the table through a bank account that was never disclosed to the EDD or insurance carriers. Restitution, investigative costs, and fines totaling $4.6 million have now been paid. This case was a joint effort of the L.A. County Premium Fraud Task Force, including State Fund and the EDD. And in regulatory news, the DWC has set a public hearing on May 1st for the Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule Drug Formulary Regulations. This includes a list of preferred drugs that can be dispensed without the need for prospective utilization review. Their proposed rulemaking implements Assembly Bill 1124, which mandates the adoption of an evidence-based workers' compensation drug formulary by this July. The May 1 hearing has been scheduled at 10 o'clock a.m. in the auditorium of the Elihu Harris Building, 1515 Clay Street in Oakland. Members of the public may also submit written comments on the regulations until 5 o'clock p.m. that day. The preferred drug list was compiled by the DWC with assistance from ACOM and takes into consideration medications frequently prescribed for occupational injuries and the evidence-based drug recommendations in the guidelines. The notice of rulemaking, text of the regulations, and the initial statement of reasons can be found on the DWC's rulemaking webpage. The CWCI has issued its seventh regional scorecard providing data on claims filed in California's nine northernmost counties for job injuries. The scorecard analyzed data from 63,000 claims that resulted in $738 million in claim payments. The study found that residents of these counties accounted for 1.1% of the state's workforce, but 3.3% of job injury claims. Compared to other regions, however, northern county claims had lower average costs, so they consumed just 2.2% of paid losses. Most of the claims from the northern counties were filed by men, well above the rate in the rest of the state, and the highest level among all eight regions of California. Agricultural workers, including those in ranching, forestry, fishing, and hunting, filed nearly a quarter of the claims. Strains represented a relatively large share of the claims, as did specific injury categories, such as foreign bodies, punctures, lacerations, and fractures, which lightly reflects the blue-collar workforce. Overall, employers and claims administrators were notified of the injuries and initial treatment began sooner in the northern counties than in other regions. And the claims had lower attorney involvement rates, fewer medical visits, lower rates of permanent disability, and shorter durations. The scorecards are available on the CWCI website for their members and subscribers. 
The final scorecard in the series will focus on claims from the Sierras, encompassing much of the gold country and the mountain areas that border Nevada from north of Lake Tahoe south to Death Valley. And in medical news, according to a new study published in the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy is as effective as surgery in treating carpal tunnel syndrome. Carpal tunnel syndrome causes pain, numbness, and weakness in the wrist and hand. Nearly half of all work-related injuries are linked to this syndrome, which can result from repetitive movements. Although surgery may be considered when the symptoms are severe, more than a third of patients do not return to work within eight weeks after an operation for carpal tunnel syndrome. The researchers studied the cases of 100 women with the problem. 50 of them were treated with physical therapy and the other 50 with surgery. Patients assigned to the physical therapy group were treated with manual therapy techniques that focused on the neck and median nerve for 30 minutes once a week with stretching exercises at home. After one month, the patients in the physical therapy group had better hand function during daily activities and better grip strength, also known as pinch strength, between the thumb and index figure than the patients who had surgery. And one year following treatment, patients with carpal tunnel syndrome who received physical therapy achieved results comparable to outcomes for patients who had surgery. Further, physical therapy patients saw faster improvements at the one-month mark than did patients treated surgically. And at 3, 6, and 12 months following treatment, patients in the surgery group were no better than those in the physical therapy group. Both groups showed similar improvements in function and grip strength. Pain also decreased similarly for patients in both groups. The researchers conclude that physical therapy and surgery for carpal tunnel syndrome yield similar benefits one year after treatment. Doctors issuing mass opioid prescriptions in New Jersey are facing a legal crackdown to combat rampant heroin addiction fueled by painkillers. A record number of doctors in the state were sanctioned in 2016 over their irresponsible prescribing habits, resulting in long-term suspensions, permanent revocation of medical licenses, and in some cases, criminal charges. The state sanctioned another 30 doctors during the year for failing to follow prescribing guidelines or deliberately violating medical standards for profit. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie declared the opioid epidemic a public health crisis last January since the state has a death rate from heroin higher than the national average. The state has roughly 128,000 heroin addicts and health experts fear that number is likely growing. The majority of heroin addicts began with a legal prescription for painkillers before transitioning after building high tolerances, making the pills too expensive. The New Jersey Attorney General made a statement that removing these overprescribing doctors from the medical community is key to fighting opioid and heroin abuse. More Americans are taking prescription painkillers than ever before, despite record heroin abuse and rising overdose death rates connected to opioids. 
More than half of the U.S. population reports receiving a prescription for opioids at least once from their doctor, a 7% increase since 2011. A record 33,000 Americans died from opioid-related overdoses in 2015. Opioid deaths contributed to the first drop in U.S. life expectancy since 1993 and eclipsed deaths from motor vehicle accidents in 2015. And in other news, owners of companies providing professional business services ranging from IT to architecture in California now have the option to purchase workers' compensation insurance through his Cox. The international and national small business insurer recently made the announcement of the new option. The executive vice president of small business insurance at Hiscox USA explains the company's focus and future plans. The company started in California as a first step, and over the next 12 months, it will selectively expand its geographic footprint in this new product line. The company is headquartered in Bermuda and listed on the London Stock Exchange with California offices in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Hiscox is a specialist insurer with roots dating back to 1901. It has offices in 14 countries and operates in all U.S. states and the District of Columbia. The company offers a range of specialty insurance products through U.S.-based brokers as well as directly online to small businesses. Earlier this month, AMBEST affirmed its financial strength ratings of A, which is excellent, and a long-term issuer credit rating of A+, of many of Hiscox subsidiaries. The company reported a profit surge in 2016 to $440.4 million, up 64% from the previous year. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special report using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And please drop by again next week for more news.